yes, it's getting back into the mindset, and part of it is trying to force yourself to do it. Um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to force myself. It's okay. It's okay to go out now. It's okay. You can still do cautions, like um, if you have, like uh, your family member, they would, they can go out, but they can put a mask on just to protect them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, but it is funny here, uh, when I went to that conference yesterday, as I said, probably, it was an all-day conference, people were floating in and out, but probably at any time, there were at least 200 people there. I would say there were three people wearing masks, and I was one of them. <laughs> but only three. Yes, I know. People just have this idea that it's all gone. It's it went yeah. poof. It's it isn't. Yeah, and it's no. not that it's gone. It's just I guess people at some point are saying, okay, it's here, and and we still have to live and and try to enjoy ourselves a bit. Yeah. But yes, you're right about staying cautious. Definitely. Oh yeah, especially um, if you're you have something. I still try to maintain my distance. Yep. You know things like that. But I am mixing more with people, and that's that's that certainly has changed since the last year when we spoke. Yeah, I know it's really strange the first time you go into a place with people. Yes. <laughs> you're like, oh dear, this is going to be weird. Yeah, I, I remember the first time uh, we went to a restaurant, and there were a lot of tables available but a woman sat close to us and I was like let's move let's get out of here let's go to, to a table further away from her she's probably just trying to with distance connect <laughs> right right or to be amused by uh, listening to folks because of course that's always fun to do oh, always yeah. fun to eat stuff on other people <laughs> hey, you when get, you're out and about you get dialogue that way <laughs> that's absolutely correct been that way um, right th that's one of the things that I think is very interesting especially if you read about other authors older authors and you know classic people and, uh -huh. and you read how they uh, get their dialogue uh, or even story ideas it's by eavesdropping <laughs> just being there yeah. unobtrusive and just sitting there and unobtrusively, like, writing on the back of an envelope or in a notepad or something. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, people uh, start talking about their lives a little bit, and, and you start looking at it differently. You start thinking, wow, I could do something with this. This could be a great story. Or you meet somebody with an unusual name. I, I went to a bank to, uh, I don't know, open an account to do something. But in any event, the, the bank manager, he had such a cool name, I wrote it down, and I said, I've got to save this for a character. <laughs> well, hey, you never look at uh, Agatha Christie. She was at a restaurant or something, and she heard uh, people talking about somebody named Jane Finn. And that became a major character in uh, the first Tommy and Tuppence novel. <laughs> oh, wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah, same thing. You know, she just was sitting there and she overheard people talking. Oh, that's an right. interesting name. I'll just jot that down for later. Yeah, just write it in and take it. And then that poor person reads his name in, in a book and says, but I'm not a murderer. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, Jane wasn't a murderer. She was the victim. <laughs> oh, well. She wasn't dead, but she I was kidnapped. She didn't say, but I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wasn't dead. She was still alive. She was just oh, missing. Okay. She was a missing person. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, but it was, fun. But I, it was I, just I an unusual name, Jane Finn. budget 
uh, record and find, you know, the money that was allocated for this uh, engine design or whatever. And they were very surprised. Yeah, uh, that's funny. I always wondered, you know, if if I'm ever investigated, because I've actually researched the police uh, in Israel and oh. <laughs> and different things. Well, because I have a, a book I'm working on that takes place in Israel, and the the, the oh, way wow. the police are the 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 way the police are organized, they're completely different than any place else. I've it, it's not like anywhere. Uh, oh. So I, I, in order to be accurate, I I had to research it, and I was like, you know, writing it up, and as I'm and as I'm taking my notes, I'm going, I wonder if and I, uh, 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 what's the name, Mossad, Mossad. I was wondering, I wonder if Mossad is seeing this. <laughs> right, right. It is funny when you do that. I was, um, oh my gosh, I was I was looking up something. Um, and also for a short story, but I realized, my goodness, I'm typing stuff, and what I'm typing stuff and what I'm Googling would probably mark me for uh, either criminal activity or international espionage, and it's like, no, no, I'm really, honestly, I'm just working on a short story, honest. I know, I know. It's a, you get kind of paranoid when you think about when you, especially when you hear, well, NSA is checking out, everybody looks at everything. That's right. That's right. And you're like, um, okay, uh, writer, writer. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, I'm just putting this in a story, please. Don't worry about it. I know. <laughs> oh, my. I know. It's just, I, I, um, and I'm also in the habit, if I don't know what something means or what it is or where it is or anything, I put it in Google to look it up. And sometimes I, was, I think about it and I go, I wonder what they're thinking when they see stuff like that. Yes, yes. I I wrote a story about um, the first homicide on the moon. It was a science fiction story. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I needed to know how do how do people actually die in space if um, like you know in movies if a guy's helmet gets cracked. No, that's happens. not right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not right at all. It's completely wrong. But I had to investigate it, and then I was investigating other stuff, and I was investigating about international treaties uh, that relate to the moon and things like that. And I realized, my goodness, if anybody looked at this, they would probably think that I'm, tra I'm trying to sabotage uh, the Artemis program or something. And of course, no, no, no. I'm just writing a story. That's all I'm doing. Well, just like I was doing a science fiction story, and at, um, I, it was about a, a platform in space, so I was looking into ISS because that's our uh -huh. platform in space, and right. so I was I was reading the stuff, and I go, oh God, NASA's going to be mad at me for looking at their stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wonder, <laughs> you wonder. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it's a risk. We take the risk. I know, okay. but I mean, I com I compared to other people who are much more prolific than I am. Their their uh, history and their uh, computers must be much more interesting than mine is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, 
have to be. And the good news is, is that we, as you say, we have a very good explanation. It's like, no, 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 I'm just writing a story, I swear. I'm just writing a story. I can show it to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll show it to anybody. <laughs> I know. And my, and the one I was telling you about, the one that takes, it's still, I'm still working on it because I kind of got stuck, so I had to move to another story. That's what I do with writer's block. If I, if I get stuck, I just move to another story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, some people say that works, um, and then and then you don't even know, but your brain's thinking about the story that you're stuck on, and then hopefully it'll go back to it, and then you'll go back to it. Oh yeah, yeah, I definitely will. I just haven't figured out how to fix it yet. I kind of wrote myself. Right. When you write yourself into a corner, you have to take a step back and just let it percolate. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I've had stories that I get stuck in the middle, and it might be months before I figure it out and go back. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's really weird. And um, I actually wrote a, a novel, but it's still sitting on my desk because I have other novels that I'm working on. And I like, I hope I don't die before the book. I, I do that as a book because it's just sitting there. <laughs> oh, to send it out. It's, I still think I need to work on it more. Um, okay. I, I'm like that. I'm one of them. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Everybody's different. It's fine. Whatever works, right? Yeah. And all my books are different. I don't have any series or anything. Everything I've written has been the standalone. So it's not like anybody's hammering for it. They don't even know I wrote it. <laughs> not yet, anyway. Yeah. But, but I appreciate standalone authors. I always get a little resentful when I really like a book and then it ends and then I have to wait four months. It's like, no, 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 no. You've hooked me. Now you have to produce the, the next book right now. Now within a week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I appreciate standalone. Sometimes I won't even start. Um, if I know that a book is supposed to be a trilogy and it looks interesting to me, and maybe book one's out. I won't even read it. I'll wait till after book three is out, and then I'll go for it. I did that. I've collected the books until they. The, I it's the last book, and then I start reading it. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. If I if I have the patience to do that, that's how I like doing it. But see, so I I am a fan of standalone. So you've got a fan. <laughs> I, I as a reader, thank you for writing standalone. Thank you. And they're all different genres, though. It's just it's, it's people. And um, I remember I was at a book fair, and my second book, my first book and my second book both had an ink in it, like incorporated, but they were completely different oh. books, and they weren't connected at all. And everybody, oh, well, I need to get this one and this one. And I'm like, should I tell them? Um <laughs> Out of honesty, probably. <laughs> I actually do. I, I No, they're not even connected in any way. Totally different. That's okay. They both look interesting. They still buy them. So I was okay. I was happy. But it was like, I'm like, they're not connected. That doesn't mean it's a series just because they both have ink at the end. <laughs> right. Right. Wow, that's a funny coincidence. I didn't even think about it until people started asking me if it was a series. 
because ink just means incorporated. That's what it means. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, just by chance. The same. Well, didn't J.K. Rowling, she switched, uh, I know she took a, uh, a pen name, but she, she did Harry Potter, but then she went completely into, what, adult mystery, I think. Yeah, right? mystery. It wasn't fantasy yeah. or science fiction. No, it, yeah, she went, uh, that's why she took a pen name, was so people... Right. You know, wouldn't go cuckoo about her going into a different right. genre. I don't blame yeah. her. I mean, Agatha Christie started writing under Mary Westmacott because she wanted to do completely different books. Uh, and she did like six or seven books under that name. And oh. when even after they blew her cover, someone found, uh, I think it was a reviewer, found out that Agatha Christie was Mary Westmacott. She still she goes uh -huh. she didn't abandon the name she just uh, she I think she wrote like another two books, you know even though they everybody now knew, knew it was Agatha Christie. Right, right. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it was yeah. funny because she actually, um, she actually went to a, her her publisher that did her mysteries hated the Mary Westmacott, <laughs> and they uh, they published the first. Too, and she and when she sent in the third one, they gave her a hard time, and she goes, "Well, you guys just don't have any kind of affection for it." So she actually found another publisher. So she had one. She kept the publisher she had for her mysteries, and she had another publisher for the other. I, I, it's it, I, it's really hard to put. I guess just call it. It it, it there's no title for the type of book it is. It's it's. Fragile human dramas. So, so it's, it's, it's fiction. Literary fiction. Yeah, it's literary fiction. It it's not. It, people used to call it romance, but if you read those books, they're not romantic. Um, ah. um. So it was like there was her mystery books, and then and then there was the Mary books. <laughs> but it was so funny because they hated them. Collins uh, just hated those books. Because they felt it drew her attention away from more Perot's, more Perot's. That's all they right. wanted her to write was Perot's. Look, they're, they're not interested in her artistic expression. They're interested in book sales. Uh-huh. Yeah, when she started uh, writing the Miss Marples, again, they hated it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because it was taking her away from Perot, and Perot was the bestseller. And oh. but then when uh, well she started with uh, very intelligently with writing short stories. Uh huh. Um, and a, then, a, and a then, book and of short stories. A, a big era of short stories because people loved them. They would read them. Uh, I know there were mystery magazines. I, there are some today as well, but mm -hmm. it was really big then. Yeah, and back then. Actually, serial rights in a magazine was better than getting. Uh, it, she, you actually made more money. Uh, uh -huh. She bought her first car for the serial rights of the murder of Roger Ackroyd. She couldn't have bought it from the book. That's how oh, much wow. money she made from the serial rights of. Uh, that that that's why authors they have survived. There's some authors who never uh, did a book. They only did serials. Because they made a good living. Wow. You know, isn't that funny? Because 
I haven't really looked into it too much, but Amazon now has something called Kinzilla or Novilla or something. I don't know. But basically, Amazon is letting independent authors put serials on, you know, parts one, two, three, four, whatever. And uh, apparently, some authors have been very successful. So you write maybe a chapter or something, and people buy it for 99 cents, and then they wait for the next chapter. And, and it's become a stream of income for some independent authors. Uh, and, and a good stream for those who manage to get a following. And it's only, yeah, because they don't do it on magazines anymore. No, no, but Amazon just started it for yeah. the Kindle. Um, and, well, I say just started it. It's probably been going on at least a year, two years. I, it's, it's fascinating. I haven't, I haven't thought about doing it, but I admire those who do. Uh, and I understand that some people have been very successful. And I guess that that has taken the place of the serial uh, in the magazine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you see that too much anymore. A well, little bit, a little bit in some of the sci-fi magazines. And, you know, and that actually came through a whole different... Uh, sci-fi used to be in... What do they call it? Uh, what, the pulp magazine? The pulps. That's it. Right, the pulps, absolutely. And... Like, uh, and uh, and then um, the the they they uh, people started doing their own short stories and books and stuff like that. But what? yeah, the pulps were like that was bread and butter to a lot of authors. Oh my goodness! Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I I, I remember reading about uh, Earl Stanley Gardner, the creator of Perry Mason, and my goodness, he was an attorney before and was making a good living, but then he started uh, writing for the pulp magazines, and that was it. Yep. He was making so much more money doing that that he eventually dropped his law practice. Well, I also think it helped to have the TV series. Well, but that came later. Oh, that came later? Okay. Oh, it came so much later. Uh, he, he actually started writing, I think, in the late 1920s for the pulp magazines and then in the 30s. Eventually, then it became like, uh, believe it or not, it was a radio show for about 12 years. Yeah. And then came the TV series. And the radio show probably was good income. I think so, sure. Definitely. During that time frame, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting. In the 50s, they used to use radio as an audition for TV. To see if they could build an audience, you know, because all the networks at, the, at, at that time there were only three networks. Everybody, <laughs> that's it. That's your that's only right. choice. That's right. But but you know the audio storytelling is coming back. Um, there's uh, I I think this is the right name. There's something called a skate pod, and they do audio stories just like you're doing a podcast. You know, they have. Uh, uh, the audio, the audio stories—they're definitely coming back, and they're coming back through podcasters. Um, and it, that's also exciting because it's another venue for great storytelling. That's you know, it's it's the old is becoming new again. Yep. Whether it's using Amazon to do the little serial 
stories or whether it's uh, places like Escape Pod to do the audio storytelling, which is just like the old radio shows, like um, Orson Welles' version of uh, War of the Worlds that terrified everybody uh, one Halloween night in the 1930s. Now Mm -hmm. they have other folks doing it. Actually, I actually have a, a radio play series. That I have. Oh, there, that's right. It's a very oh short God, radio course. play series. I mean, it's not. It's it's not. I usually only do about four or five plays. Uh huh. But yeah, that's. I do that too. I like doing it. It's fun. I think that's fun. I think that's terrific. I actually did one in high school. <laughs> it was a high school project for our drama club where we recorded a play, uh, and and we we had to convert it because it wasn't supposed to be a stage play, but we converted it to an audio play where we'd have a narrator, you know, Sherry walks into the room. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I hope you heard my, my mock footsteps. Yes, I, I do. Oh, you did. Okay. I always, um, I always, but that's a lot of fun. Yeah, but some, it is a bit corny the way um, some of them are, you know. They take a cigarette. And you could hear the 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 lighter go off, and then they smoke it. I mean, <laughs> and you hear them breathing in and out like they're they're puffing. I'm like, okay, that's a little much. Because I used to, I like to listen to old radio shows, and some yeah. of it is just really silly. <laughs> right, right, but some of it's fun. Mm-hmm. I I had a late night job back. Uh, God, I was in my twenties, which is some time ago, uh, and I was driving home probably around 10 p.m. or 11 p.m., and for some reason, some radio station was playing the old, and it was old back then, uh, Lone Ranger radio shows, <laughs> and, I, and I just loved it. It was so funny. It was, I, I guess I was tired from the day, and then I'm driving at night, and, and I get to hear, Hello, Silver, run away. That's right. That's right. But but it is funny how things get recycled, and they get recycled through the newer technologies. You know, it's funny, but it's the same stuff. You still need the good storytelling. Oh, yeah. Nothing's going to work if the story isn't any good. It all comes down to story. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to uh, actually talk about your. Um, how did you uh, make a little tiny transition? Um, how did you go find? Ahead. Go ahead, podcaster extreme. No, go ahead. That's good. Um, how did you find out about your win for Rogers of the Future? Well, it was. It was a little bit out of the blue. For, for people who do Writers of the Future, sometimes it's like this really long wait. You you, you think, oh, the results are going to come out end of September, and then they don't, and then it's October, then it's middle of October. Um, I had expected for some reason uh, that the results would come out in October, but lo and behold, I got uh, a phone call from Joni, who's a woman who works Writers of the Future, and she's the one who alerts everybody. And she told me I was a finalist, and 
you just keep hoping, okay, is she going to tell me today? Is she going to tell me tomorrow? Is she going to tell me the next day? And I think about nine days later, she called. Um, um, when she called, uh, it doesn't come on the cell phone with a phone number. It comes up as private number, so no numbers. But she's the only private number person that I was expecting. Uh, so I just grabbed the phone, and I didn't even wait for her to say hello. I said, Joni, just tell me. Just tell me. I can take it. I can take it. Go ahead. Just tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it was her, you know, thank goodness it wasn't somebody who thought I was an insane human being. Um, uh, and then, then she told me that I got third place. And I was, I, I, I'm even having trouble talking to you now about how happy I am because it was, it was really incredible. That's a great it's a thing. a wonderful thing. So, um, so now you won. This is for which time? I mean, is it coming up? Um, this is for Volume 39. Volume 39 is going to come out around May, May of 2023. Um, so when's so the award ceremony? Upcoming volume. Do you know when the award ceremony will be? End of April is what I believe they're aiming for. I believe they're aiming for end of April. Um maybe the last Friday in April. I, I suppose it could all change. I don't I don't know whether it's set in stone. Um, but I think the last Friday night in April is when they're going to have the award ceremony. And then I guess the book officially comes out the following Tuesday, which would be the first Tuesday in May. Um, and that's just, is, you know, I, again, you'd have to check with them, but I, I think that's uh, probably what's planned for at least right now um, and of course for me that's tremendously exciting to be able to have that week-long conference not just to meet the other authors in the book but to be exposed to some of the top science fiction writers to be able to meet with them and learn from them uh, hear what works for them uh, and you know try to learn I I really want to mix with other writers and this is going to be probably um, my first opportunity That's so cool. to, to mix with professional writers, people who have succeeded in the field. It, it's really cool when you meet a writer uh, that you admire. It's like, uh, yeah. you can't really even describe it. Um, <laughs> if you want to be a writer and you meet somebody... I remember I met Richard Matheson, who is a Oh, great, my gosh. He was, he's one of my heroes. He's fantastic. Yeah. He, he wrote for Twilight Zone. Yeah. Um, he wrote Somewhere in Time. He yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's just one of my favorites. So <laughs> I got to meet him. He's, he was a very nice man, very quiet, um, and it was really sweet because he was there to promote another book, and but I, my I was obsessed, still am, with Somewhere in Time. Uh-huh. So I brought a copy of it in case he'll sign it. I wasn't sure if he would. Um, wow. So he was signing the book that he was there to promote, which I can't remember the name of it, um, uh-huh. which I have, but I can't remember the name of it. Um, well, so you were good that you bought it. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, right. um, the support. Um, but I said, well, I go, um, I have this book, would you mind signing it? 
and it had a picture of Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve on the cover. Right. <laughs> it was the, it yeah. was like you could tell when I bought it. I bought it when the movie came out. Um, uh-huh. And he goes, oh yeah, of course. And he signed it. And he goes, so you're a big fan? Because I had it in plastic and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a long time ago. Um, and he, I said, oh yeah, I love it. it's one of my favorite movies. I and I love time travel. And he goes, so do I. I go, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, we figured you did. <laughs> that, that, that is a, a great film. I remember that I did not know. I remember seeing the movie. I didn't know it came from one of his books. I'm going to have to get it now. Yeah, the book, the original title for the book was Bid Time Return. But they said that Americans weren't sophisticated enough to understand what bid meant. <laughs> So, right. <laughs> so they changed it to somewhere in time. I mean, wow. I always thought that was funny. I mean, I understood. Anyway, uh, so because so when if you look for an original of it, it would be under bid time uh-huh. return. But I think it's just astronomically expensive. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't need an original. <laughs> but if you or look under. But if you look under somewhere in time, you can find reasonable books. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I love I the book is is pretty different from the movie. It's a different location. Uh-huh. It's Del Coronado here in San Diego instead of the Grand Hotel in uh, Michigan. Oh. Uh, the reason that the film company um, chose the uh, Grand Hotel was because it's pretty much uh, they keep it as a historical place and Del Coronado is a still a real hotel that people go to all the time oh, and, they, I see. and they have you know TV antennas and they have all kinds right. of <laughs> kind of ruin it why <laughs> <laughs> well, don't think the location mattered that much for that story not really but I remember yeah. when I found out that it was done, the book was set in Del Coronado. I waited because we were going to the Dell for my parents' fiftieth anniversary. I waited to reread it at the Dell. Oh, <laughs> oh my! I mean, oh, I had read it many movie. times, but I was to read it at that hotel where it takes uh-huh. place is just mind blowing. <laughs> right, right. It does. I, I think, I mean, it, you know, I mean, like science fiction or even time travel stories, it's hard because a lot of times that takes place in fantasy areas, you know, uh, made up places. Right. But when it's a real place and uh-huh. and a real person, because Elise was based on Maude Adams, the actress, not not the oh. modern actress, the old actress from the 1900s. Uh-huh. <laughs> I always have to oh. make sure I say that because people think it's Maud Adams and Maud Adams that was in the Bond movies and things like right. that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. This one was long before she was even thought of. <laughs> yeah, relatives, right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's interesting. That would add a great deal to the story. I know that... Um, I live in South Florida, and I know how much we enjoy watching films that are filmed here. Mm-hmm. When we look and we say, oh, I know that hotel. Oh, I know 
I was watching the series Burn Notice, they talked about Miami and that there wasn't uh, really any films or TV shows being shot in Miami at the time that they were doing Burn Notice, which That's is correct. really shocking. They, they were very of the TV people down here. Yeah. Well, we had something called The Glades, uh, but I don't know how long that one lasted. Well, I mean, I, Miami Vice, of course, was set there, and they said oh, that yeah. was really basically the last show before Burn Notice, and that, and if you think about the time period between Miami Vice and Burn Notice, right. that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're not LA, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so they were, they were having a ball, because they were the only company. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't fight for locations, and... Yeah. They didn't. Have, I, I had. They didn't fight for actors. They just they were that they were the only game in town. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who actually worked for the Miami Vice people, and she was a location person. Mm. And she had to find the locations in the daytime, <laughs> and then they would film there at night because they could control traffic better, you know, at night less people around, but it was funny, if they were filming in the neighborhood, she said that people, neighbors would start to like mow their lawn at 3 a.m., <laughs> because then she would have to go over and say, could you please stop mowing, you're interfering with the filming, and the person would say, it's my front yard, and all that meant was, okay, here's $100, stop mowing the lawn, you'd say, nope, that's the front yard, what about the backyard, you know, and then and there's another $100. And they had, and people started taking advantage. Yeah, that doesn't surprise Funny me. Story. That doesn't that doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. No, there was no, um, I found this out. There was in a novel I had read that um, people who were production managers and production assistants for commercials or TV shows in New York used to carry yeah. fifty a, a wad of fifty dollar bills. To pay people off for location shooting. Yes. Yeah. And I was yeah. that, and I thought, oh, that it's fiction, so it can't be real. So when I when I started studying, and I had friends that were from New York, I asked them. They said, Nah, that was real. There, she got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it happened to my friend down here. Yeah. Yeah. Seem right, but <laughs> I know she goes. uh the character in the book, but that's bribing people, and they go, if you want to survive, that's the only way you're going to be able to get locations. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, oh, it, but it's interesting, you know? So uh -huh. I wonder if it's more money than it was back then, because that was the 70s. <laughs> oh, I, uh, like I said, they used to have to give it like $100 to people down here. So tell me, you said that you like time travel stories. Who else, uh, or what else besides Somewhere in Time? What are some of your favorites? Uh, the Time Machine. Uh, the original one. The original the one with Rod Taylor, who I adored. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was a great one. I enjoyed that one. And, oh my goodness, I can't believe I don't remember the name of the movie, but do you remember, and I think this was based on a book, uh, it was a time travel movie where Jack the 
Ripper. Yeah, it's one of my um, favorites. Time After Time. Great movie. Time After Time. That's it. Yeah. Then he gets chased by H.G. H. G. Wells. Right. Right, because uh, he he actually uh, got through the you, time machine and, and H.G. had to go right. back. My favorite part is at the end of the movie and the girl he meets says, do you have to go back? And he goes, they're in like a museum that has all of his books. He goes, right. yeah, I have to write half these books. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I remember that. <laughs> but that yeah, was a good one. Malcolm McDowell. Oh, what's her name? Oh, She's a I great don't actress. Don't... Oscar winner. I don't remember. But I just remember how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I've read the book, and there was also another book that I read. It was actually by the guy who wrote the book that the professor was named for in Somewhere in Time. There's actually, he wrote a time travel book, and I have it, but it's in, oh, like, sure. another room. <laughs> it's a really good wow. book. I think it was Finney. I think the name of the author is Finney. Oh, Jack Finney, of course. Yeah, but I can't remember the name uh, of the book. He wrote quite a few. Oh, my goodness. One of them was the character goes back to the Titanic, if I recall. Mm -hmm. That one was a great one. I, yeah. I, I love that. I also like time travel. There's a Twilight Zone, and that this one was written by, this is so sweet. This one was written by um, Rod Serling and um, Richard Matheson for the uh, great um, Buster Keaton. And uh, what it was was, and I don't know, some people don't like it, which I can't understand at all, because uh, it's adorable. It's a, it's a time travel episode where Buster Keaton is in, I think it's like 1912, and uh -huh. he works as a janitor for scientists. And the scientists created a time travel helmet, and he accidentally puts it on, he puts it on, he's playing with it, but he, he accidentally sets it off, and he ends up in the 50s, or the 60s, I can't uh -huh. remember what. And so, at the beginning, it's a silent movie, because everything is just like a silent movie. And um, then when he goes to the 50s, it's a normal TV show. The normal okay. show. <laughs> and, and you can wow. hear him talking and everything. It's not just the little signage and stuff. It's so adorable. It's one of my top favorite Twilight Zones. You know, I, I watched, I thought I'd seen all of the episodes, but I don't recall that one. That one sounds terrific. Uh, I... I I remember uh, something in time. I yeah. can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's. I think it's in the first season. Either the, I think it's the first season, but it's like ah. such an adorable. It's so cute. And um, it has to be. I'm sure it was well done. If the beginning part is like a silent movie. Yeah, it, so the, it's really, the, and uh, it's a great. And it's Buster, so, you know, an expert at the silent era. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that's and one I of my favorites. I remember a Twilight Zone episode where um, a fellow who's 
images when he walks. He goes back to uh, his hometown when he's nine years old. Oh, I remember that. Remember that one? Yes. That's the episode with Gig Young, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And and it's it really was a very moving episode because he, he's trying to warn his nine-year-old self, enjoy yourself now. This is the best time for you. This is the, the best summer of your life, Martin. Enjoy yourself now. Uh, but the poor nine-year-old kid is just utterly frightened by this strange man and runs away. Can't blame uh, him. <laughs> no, no. But then his father, who is, of course, now about the same age as him, since he's gone back in time, uh, realizes who he is, and he says, this is nine-year-old Martin's time, not yours. You have to go back. It's not that bad, is it? And then Gig Young kind of, you know, recognizes it's not as bad. And he had a, and he had a you know, a very good childhood. Uh, but that was a, that was probably one of my favorite time travel episodes on the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I love I that's one I that's one of the things. I also like the sweet episodes like um the episode two with Charlie Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh yeah. Yes. They're the last two people, right? Mm-hmm. After war and they're on the opposite side, mm-hmm. if I recall. Mm-hmm. And, and Elizabeth Montgomery has one word. <laughs> Right, and but her but her word is Prusky. It's supposed to be Russian or whatever language is supposed to oh. be, but it's, pr- it's Russian for pretty. Oh, okay. That's the only okay. word she speaks the whole time. I know. I remember that, but I didn't remember the one word. But I remember that she barely spoke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it was a great. Yeah, those are great episodes. They great episodes. Fantastic episodes. See, that's when they knew what they were doing. They had somebody like Rod. <laughs> you got these great actor, great actors, great writers, and great actors because they used all the Broadway actors. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And as you say, great writing. Yeah. Rod Serling was fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, he, the the Twilight Zone um, TV episodes, he himself turned into stories, and you can get the book. Mm-hmm. By Rod Serling, the Twilight Zone short stories based on, I don't know if he did it for all the episodes, but he did it for for a lot of them. And those are wonderful books. Yeah, I agree. It's really funny because I was thinking about uh, the Twilight Zone and, and stuff. There's this one episode, if you're a writer, you really understand. There's It's uh, with Keenan Wynn, and he's a writer. And he talks into a um, a tape machine, and uh, it's a dictaphone. Right. And he creates a world. He creates uh, the people in his world. Um, and the, my favorite part of that episode is the end. I don't want to give it away because you have to watch it. But whatever character he creates, they come to life. They just pop out of, they just pop up when he describes them. Wow. And at the end, uh, Rod Serling is say, sitting on his desk and saying, well, of course, that's ridiculous. This could never happen. And Keenan has a huge envelope that says Rod Serling. And he goes, 
Rod, and he throws him in the fire, and he disappears, <laughs> and Rod slowly is disappearing, and he, he shrugs, and he goes, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds terrific. I, I, I think I remember that one. Yeah, and wonderful. So, it's one of my favorites. That those the, it, there are certain ones that I'll never forget. That's one of them. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've come to the end. I want uh, to let you say any books or stories that are coming out. Um, let's see. Well, of course, uh, the Writers of the Future, Volume Thirty Nine, in May of uh, twenty twenty three, and this month, I I don't know when you're going to broadcast this, Sherry, but right now we're in October. Uh, this month, um, I will have a short story in an anthology that's coming out. Um, it's actually um, an anthology that I believe the publishers are in England, but it's published in the U.S. Uh, as well, in Australia, uh, and it's called Compelling Science Fiction. And it's funny that we talked about some of the older uh, science fiction authors and stories because what they do in their anthologies, they like to mix old and new. So they'll have some classic stories. I think in this book there's going to be stories like by H.G. Wells uh, and some others. But then they also have modern writers uh, who have written new stories. Uh, and I will have a story in there. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, and if anybody wants to, uh, I have a, uh, there's one of my stories is free online. It's called Man on the Moon. Uh, it's, uh, you just go, uh, to Bain.com, uh, com slash, uh, man dash on dash the dash moon. Um, uh, or just. Google my name, uh, Elaine Midco, Man on the Moon. Uh, that story is available. Uh, that was the story that got the 2022 Jim Bain Memorial Short Story Award. Uh, and I love that story. I love that story. So that's why I like to tell people about it. <laughs> uh, and I, I love it. I, as I wrote it, I loved it. And I loved it. And I was so happy uh, when they, they selected it. Um, uh, and, you know, I don't know. I, you can find me on Facebook. Again, just look up my name on Facebook. I think I'm the only Elaine Midco there. Um, and um, I had something published in Galaxy's Edge magazine, the July 2022 issue, um, Daily Science Fiction. I have one story in Daily Science Fiction. It was less than one page long. So it's funny what you can do, because I've written stories that are, you know, 40 pages, and this story was less than one page, because daily science fiction does flash fiction, very, very short fiction. Um, and of course, Writers of the Future, Volume 37, so, I don't know, I guess, just, just keep reading, that's all. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, and uh, are you on, what social media, and do you have a website?
talking at the beginning, emerging from the pandemic and slowly going out, that's how I am with social media as well. It's like, hey, I'm on Facebook, okay? It's okay. I'm not. This is it. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day for coming back on my show. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.